Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. Glad you're with us to worship God. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we've been for a little while now. That's where we'll continue to be. So if you turn with me to Ephesians 4, our focus is going to be verses 14 to 16. But this does end a section, and so I want to do uh, some review uh, with you. And so I want to read verses, verse 1 through 13 of Ephesians 4 so we can be reminded of kind of where we have been, okay? It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now you remember this is kind of the doers section. Chapters one through three were not necessarily for doers but we learn the truths of God. We learn truths of his word there and then as we get to chapter four, it's like, now live this way. Because of all these truths, this is what you are going to do. And Paul started off in verse one and three there of chapter four. And he says, first, you need to be walking in a manner that is worthy. If God has saved you, if he's justified you, if he has called you, if he has adopted you, all these things are true in your life, then you are going to live this way. This is what you are going to do. You are going to walk in a manner worthy of this calling, worthy of what God has called you to. And this is how you do it, he said. Be humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with each other in love, maintain the spirit of the bond of peace. Not exactly like a rousing speech there, like let's go get them now, let's, let's run out there and let's, let's attack, you know, let's, let's just go and do all these different things. No, it's, you know, be humble and gentle and patient. And it's not necessarily a rousing, oh, I'm so excited to do this, but it's the mark of true faith. It's a mark of what God has done in our life that we will walk in this way. And as, as Pastor Spencer mentioned when talking about 1 Corinthians 13, that that was written to a local church. We have the same thing here. This letter was written to a local church and then it was asked to be read at other local churches. And so there's this uh, local aspect of it, of saying, this is how you guys need to act together. Be humble together. Be gentle with each other. Be patient with each other. Bear with each other in love. Make sure there's peace among you and that this peace is from, is from the Spirit. Now, I think you would know already as we go through this section that this takes a ton of work. It's a ton of work, and it's not even glorious work. It's not even what I would say is necessarily like fun, good 
work where when you're done with the work, you can actually look and say, look what I accomplished. Like if you go and you cook dinner and you get everything together and you make it, at least when it's done and you taste it, you're like, this was good. You know, I did this work and look, it, there, there's value to it. People are eating it. There's joy here. But when you come into this body and you serve each other like this and you are humble, you can't necessarily look back and say, look how good that was. Look at the results from this. It, it doesn't necessarily work that way. But when we all strive to do this together, when we walk in a worthy manner, we do see the results. And the result is a peaceful attitude amongst each other, a bond of peace in the spirit. And this is vital to our unity as a local congregation, as we serve the community around us, as we serve each other. Us being unified is very important. But Paul went on then, though, in verses four through six, and he talked about how we are unified in, in God, not just in how we act, not just in the character of our church, but we're unified in God. He says there's one spirit, there's one Lord, there's one father, and that father is over all and in all and through all. And so Paul is reminding us that almost right off the bat, listen, that we're going to mess up this other thing of walking worthy. You're going to mess it up. I'm going to mess it up. But our real unity isn't cemented just in that. It's very important and we must do that. But our real unity is in, is in God. And what he has done. And so Paul reminds us there in verses four through six of that. And then he got to verses seven through 10. And he begins to talk about how there is a difference in the body of Christ between us. We are not robots. We are not all made to be exactly the same. Yes, you know, we're saved. We're part of God's family. But the fact is, God's family is very diverse. There's a lot of differences within, within the family of Christ. There's rich and poor. There's different nationalities, different There's all sorts of, of differences, different gifts and talents. We see all of these things. And Paul addresses that in verse really 7 all the way down through verse 13. But in, but in 7 through 10, it talks about how Jesus is the one who gives these gifts out to this diverse body. And, that's, and, that, and the fact is, is that only Jesus is the one who can do this because Jesus is the only one who descended, it says there, and Jesus is the only one then who ascended. And if you remember that message, uh, we read a passage that talked about because he ascended in Hebrews, all things have been given to him. Because he ascended and he sits at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ himself does this, all things have been given to him and the goodness of Christ to us is that as all those things were given to him, he doles out these gifts to us, the church, to be able to actually accomplish the tasks that we need to accomplish. And so we begin to see the importance of the diversity of the body because there's things that you can do that I just simply cannot do. There's things that I can do that you just simply are not going to be able to do. And so we desperately need each other in order to care for one another and to care for each other well. And so this diversity is a good thing. Well, then last week we got to verses 11 through 13 and we began to see some of these roles that God has given us within the church. Remember, he talked about apostles and, and prophets and the work of the apostles and the work of the prophets that they did during the New Testament time to, to lay this foundation, the foundation being Christ, the cornerstone, but to, to speak and to teach and to start forming these church, churches. And we have this firm foundation that we still today benefit from, the work of the apostles and the prophets but Paul went on, right? He talked about the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Those who are called to, to teach the church, 
to teach the body of Christ and to teach them the word of God, of which we'll be talking about more this morning. But how that is a, a gift that is given to certain people. Not everybody is called to that task, but there are some who are, and I'm convinced there are some who are within our body who are not exercising that gift or not working to even get better in that gift. They maybe fear that. They're, they're trying to shy away from that. But the fact is, if this is a calling that God has given you, it's a, it's a good gift to us, the church, to benefit us, the church. And it's the job then of the pastors, the teachers, I'd say the pastors more specifically within the church, to make sure we are being taught well and being taught according to scripture. Why? Well, because of verse 13. This is the goal. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the goal for every church, is that we grow together in maturity to the fullness of the stature of Christ, that we know him, that we know what he has done for us, that we know what he is calling us to do now. And we see this in his word. We have to know his word and understand his word. Sadly, this is taken lightly, though. For far too many people, what church really is about is get them saved and out. Just, just get them saved. Who cares about everything else? But that falls so short of what scripture talks about the church is supposed to do. Yes, we reach out and we evangelize and we share the gospel and we trust that God will do that work in people's lives. But that's just the start because then we need to train them and equip them. Why? For the work of the ministry that then the church is supposed to do. That you then, as the congregation, you do together, it says there. And we do this, why? So we can all become mature in Christ. It's a difficult thing to become mature. It's not just an age thing. If you guys are parents, maybe you've seen this in your kids, right? Your job as a parent is to train them and raise them up in the Lord as a Christian, but also you need to make sure that they can function in society. You need to make sure that they'll be able to work, that they'll be able to fend for themselves, that they, that they know what to do. And I am learning as a parent that there comes a point where you think, oh boy, I've messed up or I didn't start early enough, or I don't know if they're really ready for this. And I remember as a, as a younger person saying, parents, you just got to trust your kid. Give them the keys and let them go drive. I'm finding out, not that easy. <laughs> it's not that easy of a task. Yeah, just trust. Uh, yeah, it's easy to say, a lot harder to do. But why? It's because you're trying to raise that child to be mature, to be a full stature in the world so that they can go and, and live, really, and not get hurt and be a benefit to society. And again, as Christians, we want them to love the Lord. We want them to worship him and give him glory in everything they say and everything they do. But it's a tough task. And it takes a lot of work on the parent's part. It takes a lot of work on the child's part, doesn't it? I mean, you, can, you as a parent can tell them till you're blue in the face, but the fact is it has to sink in and they have to do it. They have to do it. It's the same way in the life of a church. It's the same way. You have to do it. You can say you want this about the church. I'll give you a very easy example. Trunk or treat. You can say, we want to have trunk or treat at church. It's awesome. Well, guess what? With 15 trunks, we don't have trunk or treat. You got to do it. 
You got to step up and come and do it. We, we got to have candy to give to kids. That'd be a really sad trunk or treat. Hi, kid. Oh, do you have candy? Ah, we didn't think, no. What the heck am I here for? Right, I mean, that, that's a problem. But it, it takes us as a congregation to do it. Now, to me, trunk or treat is a very minimal thing. I think it's good and I'm glad we do it. It's a good thing for our community. But, but that's a really small thing in compared to, I am trusting you as a congregation to share the gospel with this community and your neighbors and your family. That's a bigger deal to me. Are you prepared for that? Are you ready for that? Are you being made into the fullness of Christ, into mature manhood, as verse 13 says? Because that is the mission statement of a church. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And so with all of this in mind, we're going to get into our next section of verses 14 through 16, to where Paul is going to talk about a couple things. He wants us to see the benefit of sound teaching. Paul wants us to see the important balance of truth and love and what that really means. And Paul wants to see the whole body growing together. Not certain pockets growing, the whole body coming and growing together in Christ. If you're one of those people who are scared to death when you watch the news, if you're one of those people sitting in your pew right now and you are scared to death for the future of the church in America and religious liberty and all these different things, I think you should be paying attention today. And I think you should have been paying attention to what I just talked about at the very beginning of four. The only way the church will maintain, number one, by the grace of God, and God's going to do that, but is if we stick to doing what he's told us to do. Not getting distracted, but stick to this. Being faithful to this, the word of God. So look at verses 14 through 16. And I don't know if we'll get through all this today. I, I don't know. We'll see. It says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Our first focus will be on verse 14 there, and the benefit of sound teaching, because that's really what was being talked about in 11, 12, and 13 is as these people who fill these roles of evangelists, teachers, pastors, as they equip the saints and teach the saints, we do see a benefit there. And the benefit is what verse 14 tells us, that we're no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Right? This is the benefit of sound teaching as pastors, as teachers within the church, do what they are supposed to do. Then the saints of God are built up. And as the saints of God do the things that they are supposed to do and minister to each other, this is what happens. It protects us from being tossed about in this world. It helps us to stay firm and it helps us to stay focused on Christ, what we are to be focused on. And so when we do these things well, what you see is you see a steadiness within the church. You see a steadiness in church life. 
This is one of the things that's been difficult during COVID. COVID created an unsteadiness, a very unsteadiness to where now when you see somebody out and about and you're like, oh, I haven't seen you in church in a while. It's super unsteady and awkward. Why haven't I seen you? Oh, I'm scared or whatever. I don't, I'm, still, I'm still nervous. But then you feel awkward. Why? Because you're at a ball game with a thousand people and they're there, right? And it's like, ah, I don't really know how to respond. And you don't know what to do. What, see, there's been an unsteadiness created within church life. And despite what people think about COVID or vaccines or all these other things, what has happened is an unsteadiness in the life of the church. And we have seen proof of this verse being held very true, that there are those who have been tossed completely out by the craftiness of things and schemes of the devil. It's just true. It's happened. I mean, you can look around and I I know you see it as well. And it's difficult. But that doesn't mean we change our focus of sound teaching. We have to teach the importance of coming together as the body of Christ. We gotta, we gotta continue to be steady as a church in these things. Within the body, showing humility to each other, loving each other, being unified on Christ. Not on other things, but on Christ. It's heartbreaking. I, I talk to other pastors, I, I see it. There are churches who've been decimated because of masks. What a dumb reason to be decimated. I'm serious, I'm serious. Whether the church said you have to wear a mask or whether the church said you don't have to wear a mask, either way, dumb reason for a church to be decimated. Dumb. That's not centered on Jesus then. It's centered on something else. There's a different center there. You can think it is, whatever it might be, but that is not being centered on Christ if that's going to decimate a church. Well, why does that happen? I would say because there are children being tossed to and fro. That is a weakness. Really? We're going to fight over this? We're going to be separated over something like this? No, when we're taught well, when we're centered on Christ, what you see is you see a joy in the fellowship. You see a commitment to corporate gatherings. You see a willingness to lay yourself down for your fellow church member, whatever that might be. Why? Because you love them and you want there to be peace. Beyond anything, I want there to be peace that is centered on Christ. Why? Because I don't want the gospel to be, to be affected in our community because of our fighting that's going on here, because of the silliness that's happening here. Me and Pastor Scott were talking about that about the Southern Baptist Convention right now. You can look this up on your own and you can ask me questions later. I don't want to go into it a lot. But right now to the world, if they follow social media and Southern Baptist Convention, just foolishness, just utter foolishness. And it's not over doctrine. It's not over theology. It's not over anything like that. It's over money. It's over some other things that are, that are important, but it's not about the gospel. And so the outside world sees it and no wonder they mock. No wonder there's just all these distractions because we're not centered on what we are supposed to be centered on. And I think that's because we start to get away from the important thing being sound teaching. It starts to become other. It starts to become other things that become important to the church. And we're not supposed to see that. We're not supposed to see a church membership that is swayed back and forth between current church fads or the current doctrinal desertion. 
No, we're supposed to be rooted and grounded so that we're not tossed back and forth in the waves of society. But yet, you see it far too often. If you're in here today and you've been, you were born in the 50s maybe, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, I'll group all those together. I don't really know where I stand in generation. I don't know if I'm a millennial or not. I know they make fun of them a lot. Uh, could be me, I guess. I was born in 82. I'm always right on the line. Not sure. But when I look back at past generations, it's pretty intriguing to me, the fads, the church fads that really have happened. And again, my mind goes to the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And the fad was this. Let's make church less churchy. That's the fad that you're a part of. That's the fad that I've seen my whole life. It's what I've heard my whole life. I, I was even taught that here many times. If you want your friends to come to church, you got to help them to see it's not so churchy, that we're just people, that we like to do the things they like to do. And so you, you start to have things and you, and you do programs, which, which might be good programs, but they really are just trying to replicate something the world is doing. You know, a program that I actually really enjoyed growing up, RAs, just replicated Boy Scouts. That was a lot of it, but we threw some Bible in there, right? Uh, we'll do that with church Zumba classes. Now they do Zumba out there. Look, we do Zumba in here, but we throw a little, little Bible verse on it. They have a softball team. We have a softball team. They play basketball. Look, we play basketball. We, we do all this stuff. Why? Because we don't want to seem so churchy. We want everybody to be able to come in here and feel extremely comfortable. And so what you see is you see things like people don't talk about preaching anymore. We talk about talks, discussions. I just want to have a discussion with you today, right? Because it, that's better language. It's, it's more comforting. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here just to help you. I'm here to help you in your life. I, I want things to be better. All of a sudden, your church decor becomes very different. Your buildings start to change because we don't want people to think they're walking into a church. We want to trick them. We want them to think they're walking into a doctor's office. We want them to think they're walking into a gym or a school where fun things happen, and then we're going to say, hey, now you got to sing, and boom, bait and switch. Gotcha, but you're here now. This is the church fad that we have been living in. Our music changes. The structure of our service changes. The programs that we run change. Why? Because we want to be less churchy. That's the only way we can win people is if we help them to see the church is just as fun as outside the church. <laughs> I hope you see that there's a problem with that. I hope you realize that we are tasting the fruits of that labor for many decades. That's what we're living in now. The fact is that fad is a bad fad. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And what that means is we are different. We have been set apart. We are different from the world. Jesus would say in John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. It seems like this was our goal. For decades, it seems like this was our goal. We want the world to love us. We want the world to see how cool we are, how much like them we are. It's just, we have Jesus too. Jesus says, what does he say? But because you are not of the world, 
but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. He goes on in John 17, verses 15 to 18. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now we could talk about what does that mean that Jesus was sent into the world? He was sent into the world to be very different. He was sent in the world to be poor, to be ridiculed, to be shamed, to constantly be teaching the truth, to constantly be loving everybody he came into contact with, but then to watch those same people kill him, to turn their back on him, to crucify him, to put him into a grave. Now, what we cannot do is we cannot rise from the dead. But Jesus is very clear. You're not of the world and you are going to live a life like me where you're going to bear your cross daily and follow me. And it seems to me what the church fad has been for decades, and the reason I include 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s is because some of you older folk who I love very dearly like to pick on millennials. They're following you. They just do it better than you. They know how to incorporate themselves into this world way better than you ever did. And so that's the problem. It's been going on for a very, very, very long time, and we continue to face the struggles that we face. Why? Because sadly, much of the salt is no longer salty. It's not salty. There's no difference. I've been to people's houses before, and they have heart problems. I'm like, you guys got any salt? You got any salt? Yeah, I got this salt. This is the salt I use. It's like this special salt. It's not salt. You put it on, you're like, nothing. Nothing. What, what is this garbage? Don't give me this. I want salt. Morton's salt. Just give me some of the real stuff. I'm afraid that's what many churches have become. What is this? I don't notice anything different. There's no change to this at all. There's, there's no effect. Nothing, nothing is happening here. And then the church goes, what's going on? Well, why, isn't, why isn't this working? It's because we've removed what works. The understanding that we are different. And so I think what the result has been is the world looks at us and they say, yeah, you're a lot like us, but you're just a little more stuck up than us. You, got a, you just got a few more rules than us, and that's why you're just not really us. We don't really like you. We don't really dislike you, but we don't really like you either. You're just not fitting in, and so we find ourselves in a weird spot, don't we? The culture that we thought we could impact by becoming like them. Instead, we're no different than them. We are them. And so just like outside these walls, you have people, neighbors who will despise each other because of what sign is in their front yard saying who they're voting for, even though they've been neighbors for 40 years and they got along for a long time, but now they absolutely despise each other. You have the same thing in churches. I hate you. And you hate me because we don't see eye to eye. There's no difference here. 
The bond of peace seems to be broken. The, The center that is supposed to be Christ seems to be something else far too often. And again, I'm not just trying to say that everything the churches have done from the 50s until now is wrong. No, I, I understand much of it and I think it was done for very good reasons. I do, I think it was for a love for people. I think they wanted to see people come to know Christ. I do, I, I, I don't doubt that for a second. But I just think we kind of got off centered. We kind of got off centered and now we're seeing that played out. I can bring something closer to home if I haven't already. The way I see this play out in our context is this. I didn't see you. I haven't seen you for the past few weeks. Oh yeah, you know, we've been going to so-and-so church and then we come back to your church and then we, we like to bounce back and forth. It's like, what? It's like, okay. And, it's a hard spot to be in, I think, as a pastor, because I, I think sometimes I think you just want them for your own numbers, which, which I'm, I don't really care about. But I think that's, that's heartbreaking because we're a Baptist church with some pretty specific doctrines that we hold to, and that church you're going to is some very different doctrines, some very key theological concepts that are different. How can you, how can you go there and then, and then go here without that being a bother? That's not a big deal. I like their music. (laughs) Off center. Their pastors just, there's something about them I just really like. Off center. Pastor Tim, I just just really like when you preach, so sometimes I like to come hear you speak, but then I like to go off center. That's off center. That's not focused on what we're supposed to be focused on. That's not being the body of Christ that God has called us to be. And this is a huge sign of the childlessness in our faith. The weakness, the immaturity that we really have. Now, don't get me wrong. There are other denominations that are great. They're great. I would, I would stand hand in hand with them in, in many things, many things. And I, and I love it. I love that they're a church. I love that they're growing, whatever it might be. It is great. But we start to water down the truth of doctrine, the truth of theology. And what are we doing? We are watering down the word of God, which is the thing that God has told us keeps us centered. When he gives us these roles, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, what was their function? The word, nothing else. The word, when the apostles were brought, when stuff was brought to their attention, hey, there's, there's women here going hungry. What are you going to do about it? What did they say? We're not going to do anything about it. The church can do something about it. Let's appoint some men to go do something. But what we're doing, the word of God is very important, more important than that. That's, that's just a stunning statement to hear in our culture today. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Pastor Tim, my dad died. Yeah, I'm too busy. What do you mean? I have to preach on Sunday. I gotta be in the word of God. I don't have time. You know what? I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a deacon go. I'm gonna ask somebody else to go. That person's leaving the church. I can tell you right now, that person is leaving the church. It is a, that would be an astonishing statement for them to hear, for somebody to hear. 
I just say that because the word of God is that important. That is what keeps us together. That is what binds us together. That's what allows us to know God and who he is, to hear the truths about who he is, about his attributes. This is what we go through on Sunday nights. We've been going through the attributes of God. We know this because of his word that he has given us, and we, we stand on that. And I am convinced that the only way to change the current trend The current fad that churches seem to be going is to get centered back on the word of God. That's said all the time. You're going to be hard pressed to find a Protestant church, evangelical church that somewhere on their website doesn't say something like we teach the word of God or we stand on the word on the word of God. But it doesn't take long to dive into a church and to realize, do they really do this? Are the people humble? Are they gentle with each other? Do they have a bond of peace that is centered on Christ and the things that Christ has called the church to do? Do they love the word of God? Do we really see it? Are they in Bible study together? At their corporate gathering, are they actually coming together corporately and listening and sitting under the word of God and being changed by the word of God? That's where the difference lies in it. Well, I see our time. I don't, I don't have time to finish the rest. We'll finish it next week. And I know this has been heavy. I don't apologize for that, I guess. I don't want to lie. I just struggle because I look at the culture and then I look at the church and I see the church railing against the culture. And I think, church, it's your fault you are where you are. It's not the culture. The culture in Ephesus at the time was debauchery and horrible. They were sinners of sinners of sinners. But yet God was working there. They were still a church being called to faithfulness. And yes, in America, we are entering a time where our sin seems to be put forward much more than before, maybe. I don't know, because when I look in our past, I still see a lot of sin. Yes, it's it's out there. Yes, it's, you know, it's being pushed up against the church. And yes, we have fears of what does that mean for the church? But I have to tell you, it doesn't change the strategy and the goal of the church. It is still our job to do what we were called to in verses 11 through 13. We need to raise up people to mature manhood in the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this can only be done through the word of God. So my hope and prayer is that you will commit to that, that you will commit to yourself, the word of God, that you would read it yourself, that you would commit yourself to be here under the teaching of the word of God. I would love it if all of you were here on Sunday nights the, the attributes of God are just amazing. And I would love for you to be here. I put just as much time into that message as any other. It's, it, I dare say, it's decent, okay? It's decent, at least. But we need to get back to committing to the word of God. 
I read somewhere this week, during the Reformation time, those men, as they were leading the Reformation, pulling, well, they didn't see it this way. They were trying to reform the Catholic church. They were preaching six, seven times a week. I can't imagine doing that. Don't ask me to do that, I'll quit. (laughs) That's what they did. And the people came and God used that to a great benefit to us today. A change happened that swept around the world and how did it sweep through the world? Through the word of God being taught and preached and encouraged to be read by the common folk. It's the word of God that makes those impact. And the only way that we're gonna see an impact in our culture is with the word of God. Not giving into lies, not giving into the craftiness and the deceitfulness and the schemes of man, but staying true to what God and his word tells us to do very clearly. And that is to be people of his word who come together and love each other through Christ always. So I hope that you'll be able to commit to that here in church life. I hope that you'll do that at home and on your own. And again, I don't say that so that our church numbers go up. Of course, I'd love to see that. But I say that so that we all can attain to mature manhood in Christ. That's our goal. That's what we want to see. That's our vision. That's our mission statement. But it can only be done when we work together centered on the word of God. Let's bow together. Let's pray. Scott's gonna come lead us in a song to close. God, I thank you for your word, I do. And God, I know we only really got through one verse here. But God, we see how it is connected to all of chapter four. And God, I just ask that you would help us as a church Number one, not to minimize church. There's a lot of organizations in this world that we look to who think can really make change. And God, I wonder if we still think that about the church. You use the church. You've called the church. That's what you have done. That is your strategy. It has not changed and it will not change. And so God, help us not to fear maybe the tides, the ebbs and flows of our society, of our culture. Yes, God, decades ago, the church was gladly embraced by politicians and by our culture at large. And God, today, we don't experience that as much. God, does that mean that the church is failing? I don't think so. Your word tells us that your church will not fail, that your word profits everything that it's meant to profit. And so God, I ask that you would help us as a local congregation here in Monroe County, Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, help us to be faithful, to really be people of the word, not just in what we write on our website or in our constitution or in our bylaws, but to actually do it, that it would be seen that we love the word of God in the programs that we do, that we love the word of God in when we get together to come together, it's centered on your word. God, that each individual member would love your word more than anything else. I'm not saying we can't have other hobbies, other interests, other likes, but 
that we really do have a desire to know your word better because we know that is what changes hearts, including ours. That's what molds us and makes us into the image of your son as we're faithful to being in your word. God, when we hear this stuff, though, I know it can be heavy, but God, really, it needs to excite us because the game plan's already been written for us. We don't have to come up with new strategies. We don't have to survey the culture and, and try to think of something different. God, you've, you've given us what we need in your word. You've given us the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus to save us from our sins, to justify us. You've given us the Holy Spirit to give, a, give us power to do the work that you've called us to do on this earth. And God, what we need is we just need boldness to go and to do it. And so God, help us to be excited about that. Help us to be bold. Help us to not be shocked that when we speak truth and love, as we'll get to next week, oftentimes it will not be reciprocated. God, that's okay. We must be faithful to what you've called us to. And so God, I pray that as we sing this song now, we'd reflect on your word, that we would look within our hearts, that you would challenge us. God, help us to be a local body that is committed to this local body. Not, not dipping our toes everywhere and around, but to be committed here, not because we don't love other churches, but because this is where you've called us to be, to serve you, to honor you, to love the people here. And God, it hurts when we don't see each other. It only benefits us when we're together, like your word tells us here. So God, help us to be committed to you. Help us to be committed to our church family. Help us to love each other well. God, as we sing this last song, I, I pray that we'd really mean it. I pray that we would honor you as we sing it, as we reflect on your word, as we respond to your word, however we should. God, be glorified. I hope that we worship you how we should as we sing this song. You'd have us sing now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing this last song together.